Welcome to Locksmith Talk with Loa. I'm your podcast host, William Link. Our guest for this episode is Guy Robinson, and the title is Workplace Communication Part 2. In Part 2 of our series on workplace communication, Guy Robinson, PSP, CPL, discusses social styles and their role in communication. So how are you doing today, Guy? Oh, I'm doing great, Bill. Thanks. Um, just reflecting on the great time uh, we had uh, with the previous podcast. And yes. I'm looking forward to following up on it. And, you know, Guy, being in education, it was so interesting to, to go through that podcast with you because there were a lot of things that I learned being an educator just from the ways that you presented them. So thank you. And we're going to continue on now. Uh, again, in the last episode, we focused on the principles of workplace communication and conversation. We introduced the leader-member exchange theory and its role within the workplace communication, along with uncertainty avoidance. Now, today in this podcast, we're going to start getting into the meat and potatoes of workplace communication by discussing the various social styles that we all possess. Now, Guy, what can you tell us about social styles and why do they matter for workplace communication? Oh, okay, Bill. Uh, well, social styles is how we communicate, our, our specific way of communication. And we're going to get into that. Everybody thinks, well, we speak English, uh, we all communicate. Well, that's, that's not really true. Uh, Many years ago, when I was in an engineering class, uh, I took one engineering class and decided engineering was not for me. Mm -hmm. Actually, my mother told me that in the beginning. She's like, you're not an engineer. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but they had a person describe to someone how to put a coat on. But the person describing it was facing away. And all the class could see that person uh, and the person had to describe to an individual who was pretending that he wasn't from this, you know, this world and was learning how to put a coat on for the first time, <laughs> well, which is an easy enough task to do that you would think. But mm -hmm. we were in hysterics laughing at the person describing what to do and what the, uh, what the person was actually doing. He was following what was being said, right. but the coat didn't end up going on the right way. And it's so funny you brought that up because for those that are listening, we have uh, through Aloha uh, a training program for possible instructors for Aloha. Right. And uh, it's a set of classes that teaches you how to teach. And I was one of those instructors. And the final project for the class is doing a five minute demonstration to the class, teaching it to the class, but it cannot be anything with locksmithing, which automatically throws everyone. It's right. a demonstration and you have to understand all the techniques of conveying to another something that's not locksmithing. So yes, it's it may sound easy, but it may not be. <laughs> Go ahead, guy. No, you're correct. And and I, that's the ace instructor class. And it, like, you know, we had that discussion. I took it many years ago. Uh, I actually taught how to shuffle cards okay. uh, for, my, for my time. But I want to just tell everyone if you're interested in teaching, I thought it was by far one of the greatest classes. Uh, it, it so helped me uh, develop classes. I've, I've developed 100 classes. Yes. And, uh, but I always 
focus and 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 revert back to the uh, the system I learned in in the Aloha Ace instructor class. I can't excellent. I, I can't uh, recommend it highly enough. Great. So when we talk about social styles and why do they matter for the workplace communication, uh, there's a couple of authors who wrote great books on business communication, BB and Modit. And they all, and they, one of the things they stated was that the first principle that guides communication and leadership skills in the worst, in the workplace is to become aware of your communication with yourself and others. They also state that in order to effectively communicate, you must be aware of yours and others' social styles, how we communicate. An individual social style is responsible for the particular in the, how the particular individual, and we just said this in the last class, how they encode and decode a message. Right. That's an yes. academic term. That's academic terms. But if we were going to put it in, in regular terms, it's how we speak the message, how we hear the message. Or as you said, send and receive. Send and receive. Correct. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I was. Trying, there's a few different ways to say, it, and I like to use send and receive, but sometimes it just uh, I, I get thinking above what I'm supposed to be saying. <laughs> the more ways, the better. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so send and receive messages, and we would think we speak, both speak the same language. We both speak English. I'm saying it in English. You must be hearing me in English. Why are you not doing what I said? Well, right. it's really not that simple. And if you've been in if you've been an, an owner, if you've been a, a, a manager and you've given instructions to a subordinate or to an a employee and the instructions weren't followed. But in all honesty, the subordinate or employee, they felt that they're undergoing a lot of consternation because they felt that, wait, I did what you asked me to do. Right. But somehow it didn't it, it didn't happen. And we discussed this in the last podcast. I've been through. In walking in many of businesses, uh, in my time with Asa Abloy, and I, you could, like I said, you could cut the tension uh, between the employee and the employer uh, because things weren't getting done, not talking to customers correctly, and that has to do a lot with social style. So it it has to it has to do with the social style of the person giving the message, and it has to do with the social style of the person receiving the messages. Now. Everyone has a social style, everybody. But unlike, we, we touched upon uncertainty avoidance level in the last podcast, which is genetically built in, and you're not going to change it. Mm -hmm. The uncertainty avoidance level of an individual is genetically built in. Uh, an individual with a high uncertainty avoidance level is always going to uh, avoid ambiguous situations. A person with a low uncertainty avoidance level, nah, they don't care, you know, and there's all things in between. However, unlike that, social styles, while you are have an inherent social style and it it's on a graph, so you can be high or low of different ones, uh, you can change your social style when you communicate. You can adjust it. We're going to call that style flexing. Style flexing. I like style that. flexing. Correct. Now, just a little bit of history on social styles. This is not something new. Many, many sales classes teach social styles. Many people have heard of the DISC assessment, D-I-S-C, DISC assessment, uh, personality test, 
That is just social styles. The thing about DISC is they just use different words, but it all means the same thing. This has actually been in existence pretty much since at the end of World War I. It goes back even a lot further than even the leader member exchange we talked about. So social, and it really came into prominence after World War II. Sometimes when a war happens, a major war like that, studies get put on hold, especially dealing with personality. But Mm -hmm. after that, it started to pick up speed in this country. And if you've taken a sales class, if you've taken a lot of management classes, I'm sure social styles has been brought up because the reason it matters is important to the verbal communication process between the supervisor and subordinate is both individual social styles. The importance lies in the fact that communication is how both supervisor and subordinate process and interact with the world they are part of. And there are four main social styles and each individual has a varying degree of each. Just because you're dominant in one does not mean you don't have a degree of the other social style in you that you may revert to during certain situations. Uh, That makes sense. It's it's like nothing is black and white. Some you have a little of some and maybe a little of another. Exactly. Bill, it, 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 we, we deal with it in a gray world. We know that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe at one point in our lives, preferably, you know, usually when we were younger, things, oh, we just think thought things were black and white. It's the rules, you're learning the rules, but we know as we get older, nothing is really black and white. The, yeah, the older we get, the grayer the world is. <laughs> yes, yes. And these are amiable, analytical, driver, and expressive. You know, there were two words that I've heard before, and maybe you can explain this. As far as dimensions to understanding social styles, there were two words I've heard, assertiveness and responsiveness. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for me? Sure, sure. And this is two words that determine a person's social, uh, where they fall at in a quadrant. We mentioned four social styles where you've got to figure Uh X axis and a Y axis. Each social style fits in a quadrant. In determining a social style, an individual's assertiveness and responsiveness guide us to determining where a person falls in that social style's quadrant. Oh. Okay. The first term, assertiveness, is what an individual uses to influence the thoughts and actions of others. This is an individual's capacity to make requests, actively disengage from an, from an area, initiate, or maintain or disengage from a conversation. And also how they express feelings of positive or negative. If you think of a quadrant with an x-axis and y-axis, mm-hmm. in the two quadrants, if I'm looking straight at the quadrant, in the two quadrants left of the y-axis, or ask assertive individuals. They use it, these type of individuals use an indirect method of communication. They speak slowly and deliberately, and they generally make conditional statements. We consider these in one quadrant, we consider these our analytical individuals. They're in the upper left quadrant. Okay. And in the bottom left quadrant would be our amiable individuals amiable amiable <laughs> gotta learn how to speak 
<laughs> from New Orleans, though, some people tell me uh, tomato, tomato. Who cares? Yeah, we missed the boat or something. But I always say, you know, we've been here a long time. You know, so <laughs> uh, so. And on the right side of the y-axis is our tell assertiveness individuals. And then the upper right-hand corner would be our driver individual. In the bottom right-hand corner would be our expressive individuals. They use a direct approach to communication. If you ask a, a, a tell assertive individual to them to tell is the same as to inform or ask. I'm going to give you a, a, a good example of that in a minute. They're going to show you another word. Show you. Uh, they make decl uh, declarative statements and they speak strong and fast. As an example, if you're sitting at a restaurant with someone mm -hmm. and they're ordering in the restaurant, I sometimes I just laugh when I'm sitting with a group of people because I start putting them in quadrants <laughs> when I'm speaking to them. I do it automatically. And yes, doctor. Yes, doctor guy. <laughs> and this is, um, it's amazing how right on uh, social styles are. So if I hear them say, may I have a steak? May I have a salad? Well, they're ask assertiveness. I know I've already got them on the left hand side of the Y axis. If they say, I'll take a salad, I'll take a steak. Give me this. Those are tell individuals. So right off the bat, even when people are in a relaxed situation, which is kind of a reason a lot of salespeople take individuals out to lunch. We learn this in sales all the time. We get many classes. Uh, uh, at Assabloy, we have a wonderful instructor by the name of John Lang who teaches this perfectly. And I've been a student of his for many years now. And it teaches you to pick up by just listening to an individual and start finding out what social style, where we're going to place them. Now, this may tell us what side of the axis to place them on, but now we have to, now we have to come down to the quadrant. But before I get to that, I said I was going to give you a huge example and how, how this can cause friction. And I'm going to use myself as an example. Uh, one of my Specificate the head of our specification writers many years ago was in Texas. There was something going on with one of the architects wasn't specifying a product. Well, I said, you need to tell that architect. I forgot what it was, but you need to tell that architect. Well, he jumped down my throat. He says, I don't know what you do in Louisiana. We don't tell our architects anything. We <laughs> ask them. And I thought, that's odd. That is ask. I wasn't meaning tell in ordering. Yeah. I meant tell as in inform. But do you see how that was taken out of context? Yeah, the interpretation was, was different than what was intended. Right. You see, that person was analytical just by the nature of his business. And I'm as expressive by the nature of my business. Mm -hmm. And I'm, when I'm going to tell you why I'm an expressive after this quadrant. But you see how easily... Just one word can be taken out of context. I never meant order at all. Right. Now, the next term, the next inherentness in your personality is your responsiveness. 
This is how an individual expresses their feelings with communicating with another. Individuals above the x-axis, which would be the left and right-hand corner, the left corner would be, would be an ask, task-oriented individual. Anybody above the x-axis is a task-oriented individual. So if I look above the left-hand corner in analytical, they are tell-assertive, excuse me, they are ask-assertive, but they are task-oriented. In the upper right-hand corner, they are tell-assertive and task-oriented. Both people above the x-axis, both types of styles above the x-axis, excuse me, task-oriented, which means they always focus on the task at hand, but one is ask-assertiveness, one is tell-assertiveness. Now we come down to below the x-axis, the amiable, which I described as ask-assertiveness, their responsiveness is people-oriented. If I come down on the right-hand side, tell-assertiveness and also people-oriented. So that's the four quadrants you can put people in. Mm -hmm. Now, is there differing degrees where they move closer to the center? Remember, our goal when we're communicating with people is move closer to the center. Because let me give you an example. If I'm a highly expressive individ individual, I'm at the bottom right-hand corner of the quadrant. An analytical person who's hugely analytical is at the upper left-hand corner of the quadrant. Let me make it perfectly clear. We are communication enemies. We have nothing in common. And if I can go back and I'm honest with myself about anybody I have issues with, whether customers, whether individuals, whether family members, they are usually analytical individuals. Hmm. And they have issues with me. I'm going to get out. I'm going to get into that. Now, I have learned to curb that with the style flexing. When I run into an analytical individual and I sense they're analytical, there's certain <laughs> things I do that I because they don't know anything about style flexing. But there's certain things I do that will mitigate my communication gap with them. As in, if you're a very amiable person, uh, people oriented, ask oriented, you're very mild and meek at the top and you're in the bottom lower left-hand corner, at the upper right-hand corner is the hard charging driver, corporate executive. Okay. Communication enemies. They have nothing in common with communication. So that's the point I'm trying to make is you've got to, why it's so important to pick up on a person's communication style, because if you want to make an impact, if you want to get your communication over, you know what you have to do. They don't, they haven't studied this. So I have to adjust and get closer. I won't get fully to them, but if I can move myself toward the middle, I can be better understood and better heard by the individual I want to communicate with. Mm. Now, Guy, can you go into each of those four social styles a little bit more about the characteristics of each? Okay, sure. Just the basic sure. characteristics. Let's talk about the, the amiable type of person. The amiable type of person, as we've said, if you've got the quadrant, looking at the quadrant there in the lower left-hand corner, an ultimate amiable. There's different degrees of it within that quadrant. 
They are ask-oriented in their, insert, in, in their assertiveness. However, since they're in one of the two quadrants below the x-axis, they're also highly people-oriented. Mm-hmm. Effectively communicating with these individuals requires small talk and concern for their feelings. Example, uh-huh. how is your family? How are you feeling today? Where if you're on the same, same side of the uh, ask-oriented side of the graph is the analytical. They are ask-oriented and they're assertiveness. However, instead of being people-oriented, they are task-oriented. They respond well to tasks that have a numerical order that they can chip away at. Narrative, long-winded individuals and small talk are not their forte. If I run up to an, I can talk with another expressive for hours. We can go back and forth, crack jokes, make laugh. However, if I get to an analytical person, I better tone my, the pace of my words down. I know that I have to be more to the point. The best way to communicate with them is to slow down that pace of conversation, just like I said. Right. And then give them point by point instructions of the task at hand. They don't like generalities. They don't like, oh, you know, you know what to do. Just do it. Whoa. They More do. like the, uh, the uh, I guess we would call that uh, logical mathematical way of thinking. Or well, it doesn't mean that they're mathematical. It doesn't mean that they're any better in math than anyone else. I it meant in an, ordinal, in an ordinal sense. Exactly. They need an order. And this type of individual is, you know, usually involved in, as they would be, inventory control, accounting, planning professions. You know, if you, if you hire me uh, and, and you hired me, uh, if you hired me to do certain things in your business, I would excel at it. If you hired me to be your accountant, we're going broke. <laughs> uh, it's just the way it is. It's, it's something I, uh, I learned in business that there's certain things I do well in business. But if I ever start another business, the first thing I need to do is hire an accountant. It's not my forte. Yeah. And just like an accountant may look bad at an expressive, I always tell accountants, if you start a business, you better hire an expressive to sell your product because there'll be no money to count. Mm-hmm. So everyone is needed, but you've got to understand each person's forte or each person's strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So uh, like I said, they're usually great at planning. The driver now we're getting to task oriented, but task oriented and tell gives instructions with tell assertiveness. They usually speak and act quickly. They have little interest in small talk. They want to give orders and move on. The driver, like the analytically, the analytical is highly task focused. They just don't need that order chipping away. They just want to shout the orders and go. Would someone call that a type A personality? You would. You would call that the type A personality, correct. They're your corporate executives. They're your people who are in charge of getting things done. Now, the last one, expressive, tell-oriented, but highly people-oriented. Tell-assertive, but highly people-oriented. Expressives like to engage with people. Like I said, I'm an off-the-charts expressive in my natural state. I can talk to you for hours. Sometimes, though, 
and I had to learn this, just like I learned by talking to that analytical, we can be a little rude with our tele-assertiveness. We don't believe we're telling you anything. We believe we're informing you. We even believe we're asking you. But if you're the wrong social style, you view it as we're telling you. Big difference. I said that, that makes a lot of sense because it's important from what I'm gathering that you understand these advantages and disadvantages of each so you know how to communicate properly. Exactly. Exactly. There isn't miscommunication. And I'll give you another example on, on this. One of my managers one time, you know, he was very hands off. His view was. If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, I never have to talk to you. Well, I very rarely heard from him, ever. And if I did hear from him, he was mad about something. <laughs> if I got an email, I was like, oh, okay, what's going on now? Right. However, I got a new manager that was highly analytical. He's never mad. He just likes to know what's going on. So the first email I got from him asking about something, uh, so I, he, he was actually in the other room. I walked over to him and I said, um, why are you mad? He goes, why in the world would you think I'd be mad? <laughs> I just wanted to know what was going on. I was like, oh, okay. So even though knowing what I know, I had to get used to two different social styles. Right. But And both of them asked the same questions. One of them, but there's a reason. You know, when dealing with expressive, you got to learn about expressives, especially if they're your employee. Because expressiveness, it's a dichotomy because they do have a desire to engage with individuals and they have a high level of tele-assertiveness. Most time, rude people don't want to be around individuals, but it's not that expressives are rude. It just means that they're, 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 they're more of a tele-assertiveness. As an example, they would love to treat you to dinner, but they're going to tell you where you're going. <laughs> okay, to dinner. But you got to realize when you're an employer or you're a supervisor, you're expressive. They may be great employees. They bore easily and they need verbal discourse with their managers. They all they love new challenges and they need new challenges to stay relevant. You know, an analytical, they can do the same thing for the rest of their life. <laughs> you know, order accountants, nine to five accountants go to work and do the same thing every day. And they love it. And they love it. Factory workers. I always tell people, thank God for factory workers. I could not walk into a factory from eight to five, do the same thing every day and walk out. I would last a week, if that. Mm. However, thank God for the type of person that can do that, because in their life, they need that. They need to know that my work starts at eight. I get three 15 minute breaks a day and I get an hour lunch and I'm off at five. Right. Yeah. Individuals who yeah. need that. So we have to understand that when we have employees, that we have to understand that if I'm an owner and I don't have structure, but I have a great employee that requires structure and they're not getting off at the same time every day, or I'm giving them extra things to do without proper warning. Mm. Oh, we have a problem. We could lose a good employee, not because they're doing anything wrong, but because we can't, we're not giving them what they need in the terms of order and communicating properly. Yes. No, that makes total sense. So from what I'm gathering again, to be on the same wavelength with 
your employee, sort of understanding these social styles. And if you can work with that in the proper way, that is what style flexing is. Is that correct? That's exactly it. Understanding, and I'm going to use this term, understanding the difference of the common, listen to this, trait. A trait is something you're born with. You have a, and we all know this. We have, if you have children, I have two children that couldn't be any more different. One is highly analytical and one is highly expressive. Oh boy. (laughs) You know, that was, I love my kids. We have great relationships, but you have to deal with each one of them differently. So, and when you have to do that, you have to what's called, you know, you have to style flex because the, uh, because the common trait, we use the term trait and we got to understand what that means. It's inherent in them by understanding the, the, the common trait of each social style that will aid you into moving toward the center of the graph in order to communicate more effectively with that type of social style. About six, seven years ago, I'm going to give this as an example. Uh, I mentioned the person at our office that teaches social styles. And I asked him to give a class in Houston to about, there was, I had actually 18 locksmiths in the class, business owners, sent their employees, and they Mm -hmm. gave up their weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which is really hard to do. And they were glad to do it. They all enjoyed the class. This was a three-day class. Okay. But at one point in the class, and I didn't know, I wasn't in the class at the time, but the instructor called me and he said, guy, I want you to come in here. So he asked each member that I have interactions with, this is when I was a territory manager. They said, he said, I want you to go put a dot with a marker where you think guy falls at on this chart. And they all went up there and they all had me toward the center. Some had me as amiable some had me as expressive toward the center. Some had me as driver toward the center. Some had me as analytical toward the center. And the first thought I had to myself was, these people don't know me. I mean, as long as I've been seeing them, they don't know me. And the instructor looked at him and said, that's because he employs style flexing. He picks up what you are and he changes. He said, what you don't realize, Guy in his natural state is an off-the-chart expressive, but you all have him toward the center. So by learning and practicing social style, I automatically pick up what an individual is, what they are, and I try to adjust my speech pattern as so I don't distance myself from them. Well, it makes it seem like you're a communications magician. No, it just practice just like just like drilling open a safe when we when we did it the first time i don't even want to tell you the horror stories <laughs> sure sure <laughs> but as you practice and practice and practice nobody is born with this nobody is born a great locksmith nobody is born a great automobile mechanic no one is you're born and you choose what you want to do but you, it just doesn't happen. You have to read books. You have to practice. You have to study. You have to uh, uh, do things with your hands 
in order. And by the time's end, I always tell people this. I started in the industry when I was 14. By the time I was 14 to 16, I tell people I was a disaster. I can't, I can't even believe I stayed in it. But all of a sudden, you're 20 and 21 years old, and people are calling you, asking you. It just through practice and desire, you, you become proficient. And that's all that is. Desire, practice, you become proficient in pretty much anything that you want to accomplish. Sure, sure. And that's what I want to get over to managers or business owners. This is not a magic pill. This is something you're going to have to practice, study, practice, and become proficient at it. And all of a sudden, over the course of time, you will notice you have happy employees, productive employees, and a great retention rate. And those are things you want, definitely. Exactly. Well, let's say this. Let's say for our listeners out there, you've already identified that one of your employees is amiable. The other that he or she works with closely is a driver. Now, how would those two or should those two communicate effectively? Well, if if I'm amiable, that means I'm going to have the tendency to walk up to the driver and I'm going to want to ask how their family's doing. I want to ask how they're doing. Hey, how are you doing? You know, what are you doing today? Amiable's like small talk. I'm going to be indirect because I'm going to ask assertiveness. I'm going to be indirect on what I want to ask for. Maybe I want to ask for a raise and my boss is a driver. So I'm an amiable personality. I'm going to walk into the office and I'm going to start asking about how he's doing or she, how their family's doing. I'm going to start maybe telling them about my family and how maybe the kids all need braces and that it's expensive, all leading indirectly up to the raise that I need. But what we got to understand is I'm not talking to another amiable. I'm talking to a driver. I'm talking about somebody who really doesn't care. He doesn't want to tell you how they're doing. He has no idea or she has no idea why you want to know how they're doing or why they're what their family's doing. How is that relevant to the task at hand and has no time for small talk, but wish you would just get to the point. <laughs> so you have these two individuals that one wants to use an indirect method and be people oriented. The other one is highly task oriented and wants you to get and wants you to get to the point. So if I'm one, if I'm an amiable and I want to go in and ask for a raise, the first thing I have to do is plan in my mind. I'm going to be succinct, purpose, process, payoff. The purpose, the, the process of what uh, you know, the purpose of why I'm here is ask for a raise. The process is I'm going to talk to my boss, who's a driver, asking for the raise. The payoff. I'm going to walk in. Uh, I've been here so many years. I've always been on time. I'm productive. I want to continue to be productive. I need two dollars an hour more. Right. Now, that may seem to the amiable, that may seem cold and impersonable, but to the driver, that's exactly what they want to hear. Good. You got it. Yeah. Right. That is that is one example. Another example would be if an expressive, they need to discuss the value of a project, idea or product to an analytical, the accountant. The expressive needs to communicate so that the analytical is able to properly process that information. Okay. So here again, we had an amiable and a driver, two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? 
Mm -hmm. Or again, we have an expressive and an analytical, two opposite ends of the communication spectrum. Actually, I call them communication enemies. Now, if the expressive needs something, the expressive is going to walk up. The expressive needs to be cognizant of the fact. The analytical is not concerned with how cool, fantastic wave of the future that the project idea or product seems to you. Because right? as an expressive, we can get really excited about things. The analytical is also annoyed by your dramatic, by the expressive's dramatic, analytical, over-the-top language that they are describing this entity with. Though the project or idea, it may be of great value, it may be something the analytical needs that expressive has to style flex and effectively communicate to the analytical, this is what the project is, this is how long the task is going to take, this is how much money the task is going to cost, this is the benefit. That's it. Sure. Hard for the people-oriented person, but that's what the analytical wants to hear. Well, it's interesting because you know there are some people who would say, well, you know, this makes a lot of sense. And it and there are those who are intuitive that understand this and say, well, it's just common sense. Well, as Ben Franklin once said, common sense isn't all that common. Uh, there are people that can get this quickly and some might have to work on it. Would you agree that this does take work? It does take work. It takes work for me. I still work on it. I still revert back to my expressiveness when I'm not paying attention. And some people could think I'm rude. Uh, that's the, and, and or they think um, just move along. Or I could some analyticals may think I'm wasting time with too much small talk. It happens. I mean, I'm like I said, we're all learning all the time sure. just because. Uh, but there's also something I have to say this. You may say it. Something we have to be concerned with, with relying only on social styles. And this is the problem. We all want, like I said, Dale Carnegie wrote that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I believe it was the 1930s. Wonderful book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And what he did in the book is even mimics style flexing with individuals. But if I'm always style flexing, if I'm everybody I talk to, if I'm like putting them and all of a sudden I'm just quickly putting them in a quadrant and, and so on how I can communicate with them more effectively, we've got to be a little careful that instead of the Carnegie and dream of how to win friends and influence people, we can all, we can turn that into a Carnegie and nightmare of how to manipulate people and lose friends. No, that's the word that hit me in the back of my mind when you were speaking manipulation. Right. So we've got to keep that in mind. That's not our goal is to manipulate. The issue is when we just learn social styles, when we just learn how to style flex and social styles without taking anything else into consideration, you can cut that can come down to manipulation. So we, we've got to be careful about that. That's why. I also include uncertainty avoidance and how to use leader member exchange. Social styles are there for you to effectively communicate. It's not there for you to manipulate everyone. Exactly. I also want to give any kind of a funny example of uh, uh, to sum up 
Okay, I was going to ask if you had any final thoughts before we uh, conclude our podcast. I'm going to give a final example on all the four social styles at an event. Okay. Okay. And maybe this can help people. Person walks in as a nice a pack of rug. Person walks in with a cup of coffee. There's, a, there's four social styles. Analytical, amiable, driver, expressive. Standing there. The person walks in with a cup of coffee, spills the coffee on the alpaca rug. First thing the analytical does is say, don't you know how much that coffee cost? You just wasted it. <laughs> don't you know how much it's going to cost to clean that rug? Didn't we ask you to be careful? Now you've just wasted coffee and time and by cleaning the rug. The driver, on the other hand, turns around and says, didn't I tell you to put a top on that coffee? <laughs> didn't I tell you not to walk around with open coffee? Didn't I tell you not to walk on that rug with that coffee? Well, of course, the amiable rushes over and says, are you okay? Did you burn yourself? Oh my God, think how your family would feel if you burned yourself. Think how upset they would be. You wouldn't be able to work. Of course, the expressive is like, what's everybody so concerned about? We'll buy another cup of coffee. It's just a cup of coffee. No big deal. I'll go get somebody a cup of coffee. Wait a minute. I'll buy everybody a cup of coffee. Don't worry about it. And goes out the door. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much how, at an event, your four social styles will act. Thanks so much for listening to Locksmith Talk with Aloha. As your podcast host, William Link, until next time, stay well.